Welcome to Story of a Storyteller. I'm your host, Connor Braden. This is the show where I found out all about the ins and outs of the lives of storytellers of all kinds. You can find my free novella, The Stolen Dagger, episode show notes, links to all sorts of amazing books, and more at connorbraden.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Hello, story lovers, and welcome to yet another inspiring episode of the show. We're on season five, episode four. Today's guest is the founder of the Hope for Healing Foundation, Linda Bjork. Linda goes in deep in this episode, explaining how she dealt with her own depression, when which she likened to being at the bottom of a deep, dark hole, and how, with the help of her family, she was able to slowly and gradually climb back out of it again. Now, if it wasn't obvious, this episode does heavily discuss depression and mental health issues. And if this is something that you find challenging, I'll forgive you if you give this episode a miss. However, if you're going to give this episode a miss, I would love to still recommend that you check out hopeforhealingfoundation.org in order to find the tools that Linda herself developed. For my own writing news, I have been swamped of late. Um, If you didn't already know, I have taken on a secondary podcast, WonderPod, And between this show and it, my own free time is fairly lacking. Unfortunately, writing is the item that I have had to let fall to the wayside. But fear not, for I have a week off ahead of me. And the wizard in the wood shall grow over those few days. If you didn't know about WonderPod, I'd love to just plug it here again. Because there's two episodes um, that came out today with WonderPod alongside this episode of Story of a Storyteller that I really think everyone who wants to be a writer should listen to. WonderPod is the official podcast of Wonderfest, Ireland's first completely online children's book festival. In WonderPod, um, it, it, which is one of the three branches of Wonderfest, so Wonderfest is three branches. There is the family branch, which serves families and parents and aunties, uncles, nannies, granddads, all that kind of thing, all lumping in and watching something together. Then there is the teachers branch or the schools branch, which is for teachers to link their class to an author and get to have an amazing experience talking to authors and illustrators. And then finally, the inspires branch, which is for the writers and illustrators and all those other people involved in book creation. So the podcast, WonderPod, is for the inspires branch. And... As a result, I got to interview children's authors, agents, illustrators, publishers, and I learned so much about the ins and outs of the children's publishing industry. I really think you should check it out, especially the two episodes that come out today. One is where I will, I well, I, I will, says I, I've already done it. Um, one is where I interviewed Polly Nolan, who is a literary agent for children's books. And the other interview that came out today was with a man called Matthew Parkinson, whose mother is Siobhan Parkinson, a well-known children's um, author here in Ireland, as well as being the head editor of Little Island Books, which is a publishing house here in Ireland. Um, Whether you're Irish or not, or a children's writer or not, uh, if you're a writer and you're interested in being published either traditionally or as an indie publisher, indie published author, I really think you should give these two episodes a listen just because they're, there's so much helpful tips in them both. But in the meantime, that's, uh, that's enough for me. I'd love for you to listen to the story of Linda Bjork. Hello, Linda uh, Bjork. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. How are you today? Fantastic. And I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for allowing me. 
oh, allowing you. I, I, no, of course. <laughs> You're an interesting person with an interesting story. And that's the whole point of the podcast. So why wouldn't I have you on? Um, so I, I always like to start with the beginning of my guests. So uh, can you think of or to even tell me what was some of your earliest memories? Some of my earliest memories, my grandmother ran a floral shop and my mother would work there from time to time and she would help make corsages and boutonnieres and bouquets for weddings and things. And when I was a little girl, I would come with her and I would play under the tables and any like wilted flowers or things that were broken and their little scraps, I would gather them all up together and I would try to make little corsages just like my mom did. And I'm sure they were terrible, but it was so much fun. And my grandmother passed away more than 30 years ago, but still when I walk into a floral and I smell that smell, it just brings me back and it reminds me of her. Oh, that's really sweet. And I'm sure like, how can I put this? That was doing that, like climbing under the table. You probably felt like you were so grown up and you were making the same thing. Oh, absolutely. I thought I was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But you were awesome. Just a a child version of awesome. And uh, can you tell me what, like, so you've mentioned your, your grandmother, your mom, obviously you had a, a close relationship with your grandmother. Um, what about your, your kind of immediate family? Like what, what was your situation, your family situation growing up? Oh, I am so fortunate to have an awesome family with a mother and father, big family. There were seven kids and I was the sixth and we still get together once a month to have family dinner, to celebrate birthdays and holidays and fun things like that. So they are wonderful. Everyone. That's amazing. The sixth of seven. (laughs) That's crazy. By an age spread. So the oldest is 18 years older than the youngest. Okay. Yeah. So that's really spread out. Yeah. That's mad. I, I always asked um, my my other half, uh, both his parents are from big, big families. And uh, his dad uh, always makes the joke. His dad is a ferociously fast eater. Like I, I'll be given the dinner plate first when I'm there for meals. And then he's given the last one and he'll always be finished eating before me. Like he's so fast. <laughs> And his joke is always like, well, when I was growing up, if you didn't eat fast, you didn't eat because there were so many of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can imagine that that could be the case. <laughs> and um, so what, what was the situation? Brothers, sisters, like was there more girls and boys or? There's um, three girls and four boys. Excellent stuff. So did you ever like, was there ever any rivalry between the girls and the boys? Was there ever any like typical mm-hmm. silly family squabbles or was it just you all got on happy days? Oh, I think everybody has issues where you, you know, you have a little bit of not getting along. My sisters are quite a bit older than I am. So the ones closest to me is a brother four years older and a brother four years younger. So, you know, it's a little bit trickier to get super, super tight, but um, still, we still enjoyed each other. We played together. We fought together, you know, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's, it seems like you must all still live close together then, because if you still meet each other once a month, yeah, we're super fortunate. I had a sister who moved about mm, 2000 miles away for a while. So I'm, I'm in the Intermountain West in the United States and she moved to Virginia and I had a brother who moved to California. So opposite ends of the continent. And then after 30 years or so, they moved back. So now we are able to get together again. And those who were close still got together, but now it includes all the siblings, which is really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's, it's, it's seems really rare because like often like i'm in ireland there's lots of big families <laughs> um so you know it's it's 
usually you hear of people being in Australia and America and England and all over the place and it's rare but that's that's really fortunate that your family are all close together now isn't it oh it is it's a beautiful thing that's amazing um so tell me now your 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 two older sisters were probably finished school by the time you started um or nearly finished so what was school like for you? Because you probably didn't have the older sisters to look out, out for you. You had your brother, I'm sure. What was I like as a student? I was kind of like Hermione Granger. <laughs> that I was well, just you could cast magic and, <laughs> and I couldn't do any magic, but I worked at it really hard. And to me, anything less than an A was like an abomination. So probably, I mean, I was a really good student, but I probably stressed a little more than I should have. Okay, all right. And did you ever feel that pressure coming from your parents to do well, or was that something you put on yourself? No, not from them. That came from me. Okay. Why? Why do you think that is? Because because I, I, I'm I'm only asking from the teacher point of view. Because I have taught those children who, you know, they they are um, really hard on themselves, and then you say it to the parents, and the parents are just going, "I don't know." So, from someone who's an adult now looking back why do you think that is like what what is it that makes you be hard on yourself as a kid that is a good and complicated question mm. so i think part of it is i struggled with self esteem and i was good at school it was one thing that i knew i was good at and so by working really hard at that it helped me it's like okay i do have value there is some purpose here you know so kind of that point of view okay that's that's really interesting i never thought of it like that because I suppose, yeah, if you're if your idea of self worth is wrapped up in A's, as as you said, and then you don't get an A, then your self worth is attacked as opposed to anything else. I suppose that is a true story. Yeah. It should be, but you know, sometimes that's where we're at. Yeah, and so I'm thinking now of you, you now, and I'm just wondering if there are any hints of it in your childhood or when you were a young person. Were you ever interested or passionate about? you know, helping others or educating others about issues or problems or anything like that? I have always loved serving other people. That is part of my nature. It brings me joy. One time when I was about 12, we had some severe flooding in our area. And so some of my family members and some of my friends, we got together and helped fill sandbags. And the sandbags were used as temporary dams and to help direct the floodwaters to help reduce the destruction to homes and businesses and things. And so I was out there on a Saturday morning, filling my little bags. And one of my friends noticed that there was a news crew out there and she was so excited. Ah, we could be on the news. We could be on TV. And so she totally dropped her shovel and started following him around, hoping that she could have her moment of fame. And, and I thought, Oh my gosh, no way. I'm dressed in my grubbies. I look like crap. You know, I'm here on a Saturday morning. I'm here to work. So go away. And so I'm just working, filling my little sandbags and I got a tap on my shoulder and I looked up and there was a camera and a microphone in my face oh, and and they you know interviewed me this little 12 year old and I'm sure everything I said was stupid but they used it anyway and I thought it was so ironic because I totally did not want a part of that and my friend didn't get to be in it so it was kind of ironic oh god she must have really hated you <laughs> so. <laughs> that didn't go the way that she wanted at all yeah. Yeah, because 12 year olds, their emotions are either a zero or a 10. There's no nuance in knowing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting because to me, that just all that flags in my head is that they were looking for authenticity and you, you were there to do the work. You were there to help. You weren't there for the fame and the glory. And 
ironically, that's what news crews and that's what TV shows and everything wants in things like that. They want authenticity. And you know, isn't that interesting? I think that there's some real truth to that mm. is people want authenticity. They, they would like to be inspired by someone, but they want it to be not a facade. They want it to be a real person. And a lot of times we, we hope someone is a real, real, whatever ideal we're hoping for. And then we get disappointed and that can always happen. But I try to, to be what I pretend to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. I, like I, I'm often people, people often tell me like in work or whatever, that I come across as very confident in someone that knows what he's doing. I'm like, Oh no, no, that's, that's a facade. But I try, <laughs> I do try to know what I'm doing and I do try to be feel confident. So it's kind of a fake it till you make it situation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that's a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely works. Um, so <laughs> One thing I'm I'm interested in, like, wh- what were some you, we mentioned, like, uh, inspiring and, and all that kind of thing, just there. So, what kind of things inspired you when you were younger, and like, even from twelve going up into teens and stuff? Like, what were the people and the the charities or the things like that that you looked up to? Was there anything like that at that point in your life? Excellent question. Um, who did I look up to? Probably just in my, my circle of influence would be my, my school, my, you know, teachers, that sort of thing. My, my goals and aspirations at that time were just, you know, I wanted a scholarship. I want to go to college. I wanted to, um, you know, maybe be a teacher. I wanted to, I definitely wanted to grow up and to be, get married and to raise a family of my own. So those were the kinds of things that were important to me, but I, I was not, uh, super that's one Hermione Granger where I'm not where she was super excited about helping out all the you know the house elves where she had a cause and a passion and I can't really say that I did at that time mm. okay that, that's interesting so it's, it's more you were you just did the work as it needed to be done but it wasn't something that you were like I'm gonna help people I'm gonna do this kind of a thing at that point it was just you just wanted to have your nice simple life I suppose <laughs> yes yeah and just help the people in my my circle and my circle of influence was small and I was totally fine with that. But that's, that's such an important thing, I think, because, you know, helping in your local community, no matter how small or big it is, is really important. I mean, that's the whole point of having a local community, isn't it? Right. Sometimes we get so excited of helping the starving children in Africa or whatever. And then we forget to help our neighbor across the street. And I think sometimes we need to come back to that and remember that the people that are closest to us matter. And that's really where our influence can be felt most, like the people within the walls of our home, our family and our friends and our neighbors and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but sometimes like, especially if there's, if, people if you're if your immediate circle is falling on hard times it can be difficult to help them because sometimes people can be a bit um embarrassed of needing help or or they might be reluctant to ask um so like how, how would you work around that you see someone you want to help them but they're not really willing to accept the help Oh, wow. What a great question. And, and I hope that at some point you're going to let me tell my story because I will. Oh, I am. Don't you worry. I'm I was a person who needed help. And well, then why don't, why don't I stop you? You tell me about you wanting you start from the beginning. Okay. Do I get to tell my story? Yes. That's the whole bunch of here. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, 
Connor, perhaps you're familiar with the, the Japanese art form called kintsuji. And it's where they take broken pottery and then they repair it using this mixture of lacquer and gold dust. And it goes from broken to beautiful. And it becomes something that's unique and it's stronger than it was before. And my story is a story of broken to beautiful. And there are different types of broken. So for example, um, say you're walking across the street, you accidentally drop your cell phone and the screen cracks. And then you think, oh, dang, I broke my phone, but you might still use it because it still works. Well, for me, my basic brokenness, and we mentioned it a little bit before, is that I struggled with low self-worth. I felt like I did not matter. I wasn't important. I wasn't good enough. In fact, I was invisible. So I felt broken. but I could still function. I could still function just fine. And so I just kept going. Now there's another kind of broken, say you're crossing the street, accidentally drop your cell phone, and now a truck runs it over. Okay. Now we have a different situation going on. It's not just broken. It is crushed and it doesn't function very well. And for me being crushed was struggling with debilitating depression and social anxiety. It was as if my comfort zone collapsed and I did not feel safe anywhere or with anyone. And I could not feel happy regardless of the circumstances. And it was awful and I couldn't function very well. So what was my truck? You know, what, what knocked me off and, um, with some life experiences. So we all have struggles in our lives. That's part of living. And I am no exception. I've dealt with poverty. At one point in my life, I was so poor, I couldn't afford to buy food. I have dealt with sickness in my life. At one point, I was so sick, I actually broke a rib from coughing. And I have dealt with trauma in my life. Like the time that I arrived at the scene of a motorcycle accident in time to see my son's broken body lying in the middle of an intersection, surrounded by flashing lights and emergency personnel. And that is an image that I will never forget. Mm-hmm. And then there's a time when I took my teenage daughter in for some outpatient surgery to help correct some female issues she was having. It was simple. It was cutting, cauterizing. The doctor said, you know, a little bleeding is normal, but watch for blood clots and for uh, infection. So I took her home. I put her to bed to just rest and recover. And then every half hour or so, I tiptoe to her room and peek in and see how she was doing. And she seemed to be sleeping peacefully. So then I'd go and then I'd come back. Well, after several hours, I got a text. I was in the kitchen. She was in a room. It's from my daughter. And she says, will you come to my room? I need to show you something. And so I went to her room and I said, hey, you're awake. How are you doing? And she didn't say anything in response. Instead, she threw the covers off. And she was soaked in blood from her chest all the way to her feet. And there are not words adequate to describe the panic and the terror that I felt. And also horrible guilt because I had been checking on her this whole time. And I thought she was fine. And the reality is that she was bleeding to death right under my nose. I've also had a phone call in the middle of the night that my nine-month-old grandson had had a seizure and was not expected to make it through the night. 
He was life flighted to Primary Children's Hospital, where they did emergency surgery to try to relieve the pressure on his brain, followed by a very delicate brain surgery where they tried to preserve his life and correct the problem. And they were successful in, um, in preserving his life. But unfortunately, throughout this, he did sustain brain damage. I also have another beautiful five-month-old grandchild who was diagnosed with cancer at age five months. And so we all have challenges and trials and struggles in our life. And that's just the way that it is. And we do the very best we can to be able to handle it and to move forward. But sometimes there are things that are so big or so unexpected Or sometimes there are so many things in a row that we don't handle it very well. We become overwhelmed. And when that happens, we can be in danger of slipping into depression. And that is what happened with me. And it felt like I had slid into a deep, dark hole. And it was so deep that no sunlight or happiness or hope could even reach me. And there were no windows and no doors in this deep, dark place. And I did not see any way out. I thought, well, this is my new reality. From here on out, this is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. And the best that I can ever hope for is to endure in misery for the rest of my life. And I stayed in that place for about five years, but almost no one knew about it. Because I wanted to appear normal. I wanted to look like everything was okay. And so all the power that I had was used to mask, to, you know, to to just pretend everything is okay. Well, about this time, my sister, who was training to become a life coach, she was planning this women's retreat and she had uh, rented this condo in the mountains and she was going to invite a group of women to come and learn about how to be happy and, you know, live fulfilled and all that sort of thing. And she had no idea what I was going through, but she invited me to come. And when I got her invitation, it made me sick. I thought there's no way, there is no way that I can handle being around other people, strangers day and night for three days. I can't handle it. And besides nothing will work because I'm hopeless. Nothing works for me. And so I didn't want to go, but the idea wouldn't leave my mind. And so I gathered up my courage and I went and I'm so glad that I did because that decision changed my life. It is as if my sister lowered a ladder down into my deep, dark hole, and she showed me a way to climb out. And it was a ladder. It was not an elevator where you just press a button and all of a sudden you're all better. It was hard and it took time and it took effort. I have learned that healing is not like flipping on a light switch. It's not instant. It is like a sunrise where the changes from moment to moment might be imperceptible, but they do come and it is beautiful. I also learned that my experiences, those feelings of being broken and crushed are actually quite common, even in people that might look like they have it all together. And I wrote a book about my experiences. It's called Crushed, A Journey Through Depression. And I have received letters from so many readers who have said, wow, it felt like I was reading about myself. 
I felt like you were in my head mm. and they felt seen and they felt understood and it gave them hope that they could heal too. And it's interesting that this is not just people who are struggling with depression and anxiety. These are all kinds of different people dealing with all kinds of different issues, because even though our life experiences can be very, very different, the feelings and the emotions that we have are very similar and relatable. And that is what Crush is about. This is me allowing myself to be open and vulnerable so that I can help other people, because I want to offer a ladder to anyone who feels trapped in a dark place. <laughs> I like with the utmost respect, um, I'm overwhelmed by that story. And I think that just shows how overwhelmed you were before you went on that weekend kind of mountain retreat thing with your sister i mean there's so much i want to know more about i mean there's so much that happened um to that added on to and built up to your depression uh, but one thing i think is really telling for for uh, as i said to you before there's people in my life i know that that have have gone through depression in one way or another um, more than one that it's it's not a instant click it's not it's not a thing that just happens it's it's a build-up and and like you said it's you end up somewhere and you're so hopeless that you just feel like well this is me there's nothing I can do about it because the change and the sink I'd like to add on to your analogy if I if I can it's almost like you're you start on solid ground and then the ground dips a little bit and then you're like, oh, it's just a dip. It's fine. And then and then it sinks lower and lower until it becomes that hole you can't crawl out of. And it's so gradual that you don't even understand what's happening until all of a sudden it's too late and you're at the bottom of that hole and there's no sunlight and there's nothing reaching you. Um, Very true. Kind of like a quicksand situation. Where yeah, it just yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. And, and so all those very traumatic events that you talked about with you, with your your son and your daughter and your your two grandchildren um was that was that what was the time scale of all those things that was going on was it um all relatively recent or was it over a couple of years like what what are we talking there excellent question and those things that i described are a little bit spread out they weren't right on top of each other mm-hmm. but what i'm describing is actually the tip of the iceberg yeah. Well, so there are some things that we can share and there are some things that we can't mm. because it's not appropriate because it involves other people. And so, um, so yeah. Well, yeah, I think the, 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 reason the, was, the reason I'm asking that is just to illustrate that, like, let's put it this way. When you're, you're telling me, oh, that's all new to me. And it feels like, and then this happened and then this, and then this, but like you said, it was spread out over years. And that's kind of what I'm, getting that that it, it does happen very gradually that whole appearing and those things everything builds up onto this the trauma that you have before new trauma builds and builds and builds doesn't it it's very true especially if we haven't resolved or worked through those issues because if we really can handle them one 
at a time, we can get through a lot, but when it feels like they're one on top of another, because either we haven't dealt with it or resolved it or whatever. So excellent point. Yeah. Uh, so could you tell me then maybe a little bit more? I, I also love your analogy of that. It was a ladder that it wasn't a lift because the first thing in my head was the ladder's there, but it's you doing the work. Um, like someone can definitely, cause I, I think like I, I, we got there by me asking you, you know, how do you help someone that doesn't want to be helped? I suppose the thing is you, you can't they, like when someone needs help in this way, they do have to do the work for themselves, but you can help by being at the top, cheering them on and by having the ladder there and maybe shining a torch down to help light the way, but they're doing the work. So what, what was some of, what are some of the elements of the work you had to do for yourself that you can share with us? Oh, that is such an excellent question. And all the things that you're bringing up are so important. And, and the feelings that you're feeling of, of struggling, of desiring to help a friend and feeling those feelings of helplessness, that is something that I put my husband through. And I feel really bad about that. So I have a, a charity. It's called uh, Hope for Healing. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But one of the articles that is in there is what you are describing and, and what my husband was experiencing is what do you do when you have a loved one, someone you care about who's struggling with depression and some of those things that need to be addressed. And, and we'll go back I, to, to your question. I'm so sorry. That's okay. But, when, when we're working with um, one of the feelings of depression is absolute helplessness and powerlessness. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like you have no power. And so anything that you can do to help someone feel their power back. And some mm-hmm. of those things are very counterintuitive. Like, it's like, oh, you are a mess. Let me just fix you. Yeah. That does not work at all. And, um, you know, you are a mess. I should make all the decisions and I should do all these things where we have opportunities to invite and to empower. And so those things are huge to, to trust someone and to respect them and to be able to invite. And it includes that invitation. So like you said, I was in this deep, dark hole and it took two parts. I honestly, sincerely could not have gotten out by myself. My sister saved me but I did the work. Yeah. So I needed someone to give me a ladder. I, I, I couldn't get out on my own, but I'm the one who had to climb it and there was no other way. So um, as we go into that and that's all, all of these things are super, super important. And again, forgive me, but there, there are lots of articles and, and I have, I have free eBooks and I have free audio courses. I have lots of resources available on the hope for healing website because um, I mean, our, our, our time is limited and, and all the things that we say are important, but it's still just going to barely scratch the surface. So I would invite anyone to go there to learn some more things. Um, but I believe that every journey to healing begins with hope. And I'll explain that. That is an acronym. And H stands for having a hunger for happiness, for healing. So when we are satisfied with the status quo, we don't change. If we think, oh, yeah, I'd like to have this or that or the other, we still don't change. Our desire has to reach a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And the tipping point is when we want to change more than we want to stay the same. And you can tell when you have reached that point because you're willing to do something about it. But you can invite someone, but no one can heal without their consent. 
and they have to reach that tipping point. And unfortunately, sometimes that means it's got to be bad before we're ready to make a change. So for me, I mentioned that I was broken and crushed when I was broken. I could have fixed that at any time. I didn't know how to, but now I know that it was possible, but I was fine. I mean, I could keep going, but when I was so miserable that I wanted to be dead, that's when, you know, something's got to change. Okay. So the O stands for open openness. So when I was struggling with depression and anxiety, I was closed tight, 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 like a little armadillo wrapped up in its little shell. And they do that to protect themselves. And that is what I was doing. I was absolutely in survival mode and I was closed tight to try to protect myself, but you can't heal that way in order to heal. It requires opening up a little bit and that can be really scary. But I had to be open enough to admit to another person that I was not in a good place. And that was hard to admit. And I had to be open to allowing someone else to help me. And that was hard. I had to be open to some new ideas and to some new ways of thinking. And I had to be open to trying new things. And I had to be open to change and to healing. So it requires some openness and it's okay if you can't do it all at once, but if you can open just a little bit to get started, that's good. And then we can work on the next step. You're reminding me, if I may, of just for openness, a very famous um, Leonard Cohen quote, Um, there's cracks in everything and that's how the light gets in. So even if you are just that little bit open, that allows something in that will help. And then you'll feel more comfortable opening more and more. Sorry, continue. I just, oh, that's absolutely true. Thank you. Excellent point. Okay. So in the hope the the P stands for positive expectancy, and that means that you're expecting a positive outcome. And that is absolutely critical for any type of program for mental or emotional well-being for it to work, because we're not going to do the work if we don't think it's going to make any difference. And so uh, the good news is that change is possible and healing is possible. So we have to have that positive expectancy. The E stands for empowerment. When we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling low self-worth, when we're feeling a victim mentality, when we're feeling any of those types of things, our power is low and we need to be able to get our power back. And power is a concept that is often misunderstood. I'm not talking about a hierarchical power where I'm over somebody else and I can make them do what I want because I don't care. The one I want power over is me. I want the power to be able to be confident, not arrogant, but confident. I want the power that I feel comfortable in my own skin and the power to be resilient and the power to be able to know that I can handle my problems and that I can be able to move forward and that things will be okay, even if I don't know what okay looks like. So the question is, how do we get that power? And we have to be able, it is a combination of knowing and doing. So education by itself is great, but it doesn't change anything. It is application that changes. So if you learn something and you just stick it on the shelf, it's not self-help, it is shelf-help. And it doesn't do you any good whatsoever. And so that is why everything, again, on the Hope for Healing website is about learning and doing. It is about small, simple 
action steps, things that we can do that make a difference. So we talked a little bit about depression and depression is not a matter of just snapping out of it. It's not just in your head, so to speak. It is real, it is chemical, and it is physiological. And so to make those changes, th- this is why, you know, we, we go to doctors, we get prescriptions, that kind of thing, because those things can help balance that him- hormonal uh, imbalance, those chemicals that are, that are askew. And, um, but there are also things that we can do that change the chemistry in our bodies and our brains. And that is the magic that even if we are going to a doctor, even if we're using medication, those things are fantastic, but we can supplement on our own and help correct and balance those things within our own bodies. And that is the magic. And that's where that sunrise, that change, that just imperceptible little teeny change bit by bit. And you asked what some of my steps were. I had to learn. um, One thing is I had to change my self-talk. Because the things that were going on in my head were a whole lot of, you're no good, you're worthless, there is no hope, um, everybody would be better off without you, I mean, all these kinds of things. And the interesting thing is there's a, a phenomenon that's called the mere exposure effect. And researchers show that when we hear something or, or are exposed to it over and over and over again, we believe it. doesn't matter whether or not it's true, if we hear it enough. We believe it. And then on the flip side of that is once we believe something, whether or not it's true, we fight to defend those beliefs. And anything that you hear that doesn't match your beliefs, it just sends off all these warnings like, oh, well, that's a lie. That's dangerous. And so to reprogram your thinking is a really challenging thing. So I had to work on, okay, how do I talk to myself? How do I, you know, and when I would say things like, I can speak my truth. I am lovable. My, my subconscious is going, oh, those are big fat lies. Stop saying it. That hurts. And, but if you keep going and keep going, then you can reprogram those, those internal networks. And that makes a huge difference. Another thing, there are small, simple actions that we can do to help create immediate change. Changing the way you think, that's hard. Um, Research shows that if you can kind of change the channel for two minutes, it can help stop if you have those circling thoughts. So if you can distract yourself for two minutes, you can stop the cycle and choose a new path, or you can choose to go back to the cycle. But um, some of the things that can just pull you out immediately is one is music. Music is one of the most powerful things to help change the way that we feel. Research shows that our brain waves actually synchronize somewhat to the rhythm of music. So if we're feeling struggling and if we listen to positive, upbeat music that has great lyrics, it can help us literally feel better. And if you want to really bump up the power, you don't just listen, you sing. Research shows that singing does incredible things for your body. It helps relax muscle tension. It helps relieve depression. It helps relieve anxiety. It helps change the hormones in your body. It reduces cholesterol, not cholesterol, cortisol levels, and it improves those, those, um, those neurotransmitters in your brain that help you feel happy. And one research study took a, you know, a group of people who were struggling, struggling with depression, anxiety. They took the control group and said, just keep doing what you're doing. They took another group and they said, the only thing we want you to change is we want you to sing a song every day. And after 30 days, they checked to see how these two groups were doing. And the group that was the control group, they were exactly where they were before. 
the group that added singing to their daily routine had significantly lower levels of depression and anxiety. And that is such a small and simple thing that takes just a couple minutes in a day, which is amazing. And we don't even know all of the reasons why it works. But one of the things scientists have discovered is there's a tiny little organ in the inner ear called the sacculus. And when that is stimulated, it sends a boost of pleasure to our brain and it goes off when we sing, not necessarily when we talk or when we listen to music, but when we sing and our singing doesn't even have to sound good. You just have to do it. And so there are all these teeny tiny little things that we can do that literally change the chemistry in our bodies. And it's done step by step by step. It's not a whole, you know, whitewashing job where all of a sudden, woohoo, I feel fabulous because I sang one song. It's you got to keep doing it, but it is, there are so many awesome, wonderful tools. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, um, as someone who thankfully, like I have had hard times in my life, certainly, but as someone who thankfully hasn't had very depressive episodes or even gone through depression, that that's something that, I think is so overwhelming about this because there's so much study and there's so many little things. Like I'd never heard of that, that singing thing before I've, I've heard, but I have heard of dancing works and I've heard that, you know, petting your dog or cat works. And it's just Uh so many little things that help, but to someone who has depression, that must sound, I can imagine that would sound very condescending. You know, that it it'd be does. Like, it's like, are you kidding me? Are you not taking that seriously? Yeah. I have a real issue here and you are giving me these stupid little things. And I, yeah, it does sound stupid. And that's why we have to be open just a little bit to being willing to, to think a new way and to try a new thing because those simple things are amazing. And there's so much research behind it that verifies that this stuff really works. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the the O for me. You know, let let's see how good of a listener I am. I'm going to try and list off <laughs> the whole acronym again. Um, but but don't be mad if I'm wrong. Um, uh, so H and this is good for revision for the listeners. Uh, so H is a hunger, like a hunger for change, hunger for happiness, kind of a thing. O is openness. You kind of helped me with that one a second ago. Um, P, oh, hang on. A positive, not positive outlook, positive, what was it? Positive expectancy. Positive expectancy. I was very close. And E was education. It wasn't just around the whole thing. Empowerment. Empowerment. I was close enough. <laughs> but I think, I think that's a really good acronym because it really helps. So it, why, don't we, why don't we now talk about the charity and, and the Hope for Healing Foundation? So at what point, obviously, you know, you, you had your own battle with depression and you eventually overcame it because you wrote a book about it. And that doesn't sound like something someone with severe depression would be able to handle. And then you started a foundation as well. So, so at what point in your journey through depression, did you decide I I need to help people with this because this is something I went through? Like, where were you in your journey when you decided to start up the foundation? What an excellent question. You know, I think the moment that I had any hope that it was possible, the idea began to form Mm. because the feelings of being so helpless and so hopeless and so miserable, they're indescribable, absolutely indescribable. If you've been there, you get it. And if you haven't, you don't, because I can't adequately describe it. 
So the moment that a glimmer of hope entered, I thought, oh, if this works, if this helps, then I want to help other people. So it seems like it was early then, like in your, I don't think early, like it wasn't the first day you started your recovery, but it seemed in the general scheme, it was pretty soon when you started your recovery. That's amazing. So how how then, where did the book come? When um, Could you remind us of the title of the book, please? Because I would have said it in the intro, but just for the listeners. It's called Crushed, A Journey Through Depression. So, so at what point then you're starting to think of, I have a bit of hope, so if this works for me, I want to help others. Was the book your first way of helping others or did you, was it a foundation first or was it a bit of both at the same time? Um, the books started, but they were still pretty close and pretty inner, intertwined. Mm. So the book, I started writing it when I was still in depression. It was an inspiration. It was not my idea. It was, you need to do this. Have you ever had that gut feeling, that inspiration? You need to do this. And it's very interesting because being in it, I could feel everything. And I cannot go back and write the same way that I did because to be honest, I can't even remember all the feelings when I read through it. It's like, it, it still makes me cry. It's, it's powerful, but I feel such compassion for this poor person. And it's like, it's not me. Mm. It's not me. So that, that must've been hard though, that you had to write through, like, were you ever, cause I know that one thing about depression is, you know, there's an awful lack of motivation oh, yeah. for anything, let alone something as monumental as writing a book to help others. I mean, <laughs> like you used the word powerless and helpless earlier about like, that's how you can feel when you're going through depression. So how, how did you motivate yourself, even though you were struggling with depression to write the book? Was it kind of like, I'm going to do this, gosh darn it. Or was it, you did it because it was helping or was it a bit of both or? What a good question. You're asking some thoughtful, insightful things. I have to think about. So I think at this point, I have to pull out the Hermione Granger in me because I have always been pretty disciplined. And if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. So I was, I felt that you need to do this. And I thought, okay. So then you don't write a whole thing in a day. You just write a little bit each day. So. Yeah, I think I think that's key. The just a little bit because a sentence is a lot less scary than two thousand words, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, how long then did it take you to write um, "Crushed"? Let's see, probably three or four months. Okay, wow. So pretty pretty good going, even though you're doing a little bit at a time. And um, wh- how, when did you when did you publish it? When did you start? When did you release it to the world so you could start helping others? I'm trying to think. I think it was December 2017, somewhere around there. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And I am, and then hope. Tell me a little bit more about the um, about your foundation and where people can find it, how it can help others, all that kind of thing. Excellent. So it is called Hope for Healing, mm-hmm. and it is on on the internet at hopeforhealingfoundation.org. And it is designed to help empower people to become their best selves. And we share tools and resources to help people increase happiness, to improve their relationships, to increase um, confidence and self-esteem, 
and to manage stress and to help alleviate feelings of depression and anxiety. And all of those are done through that combination of learning and doing. And we offer, we have lots of articles, we have free ebooks, we have free audio courses, we have free downloadables. So lots of resources to be able to help people. We want to offer a ladder again to anyone who is willing to take a step. And I must say um, as well, just because if anyone has any doubts <laughs> about it, I, uh, I, I said um, in a, an episode last season, I sp- I did a solo show and I spoke through the uh, my process. So everyone who's listening will know I really, really research my guests. And I have to say this website really is exceptionally well laid out. I mean, I felt like if I was somebody who came to your website looking for help, it's very clear. It's very here's this type of help. Here's this type of help. And when you click in, it's all there laid out. So if anything if there is anyone listening, in a way, I hope there's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> odds are there is somebody who some of the things you've been saying, Linda, are striking a chord. If any of these things that Linda has been saying strikes a chord, do please check out um, the website because it, it's there's something there to help you. And the amount of things you're, you're giving for free as well, Linda, I mean, the, the audio courses, the ebooks and everything, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's very admirable and it's very impressive because there's definitely people out there that would be selling more than offering um, in this space. So it's, it's, an, it's uh, what's the word I want to say? It's, it's relieving to see someone doing it, helping others for the sake of helping others, as opposed to for making a quick book. <laughs> I agree. It does make a difference. My, my personal goal is not to make a profit. It is to make a difference. How, um, wh- what's your dreams now going forward with um the foundation with hope for healing like obviously you want to grow and you want to help more but are there some like big goals that you're like oh wouldn't that be amazing if that's an excellent question so i think just just the growing to me a lot of the things that i'm doing have felt for all the world like i'm planting seeds Mm. and when you plant seeds all you see is dirt And that's pretty discouraging. So to see those plants come up and as little seedlings and to see them grow and to flourish and to be strong and to genuinely make a difference, that matters a lot to me. I'm I'm pleased that things are growing. Last year, we had over 100,000 visitors to the website. So things are starting to be be known. But again, it's, it's a resource that won't do anybody any good if they don't know that it exists. And so right now, part of my purpose, and this is why I asked if I could be part of your show, is to help people know that it's here. Yeah, yeah. And it's, um, that's, I'm, I'm glad I asked you on because it is a fantastic resource for people that need it. And, uh, and even for those who don't, because here's the thing, I've come across it. So if ever there's a time in my life that I'll need it, it's, it's good to know. Because it's not just, you don't, you know, if I didn't know it was there, I wouldn't go looking for it, would I? Right. <laughs> um, I know we're getting close to time, so I would like to ask some slightly different questions because this is this has been a heavy episode for my listeners. So we might wrap up with some of my traditional, uh, they'll probably know them off by heart, any regular listeners, the kind of more relaxed, chilled out questions. Um, so the first, when our interview is over and we've organized everything you organize and said, good luck, what's the first thing you're going to do today? 
first thing I'm going to do today, well, like yourself, I am a podcast host. And today happens to be one of those busy days where I have four interviews. So as soon as we wrap it up, I'm going to do the next one. (laughs) It's never done, is it? (laughs) So my next question then, um, what... Oh, is there any more books in you? I usually ask, uh, what are you going to do next as a writer? But you're more kind of a charitable person. So do you think there's any more books in you to help others or is Crushed? And you do have a second book, actually, don't you? Oh, I have several, actually. So I have Crushed, A Journey Through Depression. I have You Got This, An Action Plan to Calm Fear, Anxiety, Worry, and Stress, Pathway to Happiness, 30 Days to a Better Marriage, 30 Days to Alleviate Depression, You Are Good Enough, and I Can Prove It. And most of those titles are available to download for free on the Hope for Healing website. And are there more books in me? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> good, good, because I think the world needs your books. Um, do you have any goals that you're willing to share, just even something small and silly, even if you want, that have nothing to do with the charity and nothing to do with uh, your, your writing? Oh, a goal, something that has nothing to do with any of those. Let's see. One of my immediate things. Let's see, my daughter's birthday is tomorrow. So I guess my immediate goal is I got to go get her a present. <laughs> that's, that's a really important goal. <laughs> and then finally, Linda, um, we've, I, I usually ask, how can people find you? So we know Hope for Healing Foundation.org. But is there any social medias you'd like to share or anything for the Hope for Healing Foundation? You can also, my podcast is called Linda's Corner and you can find it at lindascornerpodcast.com. And also that has a Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. Perfect. And for my listeners, as always, there'll be links uh, to a blog post on my site. And on that, you'll have all the links you could possibly need to find Linda and her amazing work. Linda, my final question, what was the last book you read? Last book I read is called Mind Over Medicine by Dr. Lisa Rankin. And I love reading and finding the the resources and the extra um, witness that the things, the principles that I teach was a very satisfying read. Excellent. Uh, Linda Bjork from the Hope for Healing Foundation. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's been um, a, a heavy episode, but a very enlightening one. And one that will end with, let's see if I can get it this time, uh, hope, <laughs> or no, hope, <laughs> hunger for happiness, openness, um, positive expectancy and empowerment. You got it. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for having me. Thanks once again to Linda for coming onto the show and sharing her very inspiring story. If you feel like Linda's HOPE acronym can help, then head on over to her website, hopeforhealingfoundation.org, which you can find the link to in the show notes. But that's it for this week. Tune in next Monday for more inspiring stories. See you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you loved listening to this episode just as much as I loved recording it. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or over on Podchaser. Until then, be good, be brave, and tell stories. See ya.